Okay. Um, hey, so Uncle Roland and I have not been feeling that well this week. He's actually been uh, ill, and then I sat in the car with him, and then uh, <laughs> we're we're pretty close. But um, I've been actually trying to shake off um, a bit of flu. So if it's if less energy and enthusiasm today, uh, it's because I'm trying to power through this because it's so important um, what God has to say. Uh, for us. He, Uncle Ron actually very graciously offered to preach today's message uh, even. So thank you for that. Okay, we are going to read uh, Revelation 3, 7 to 13. And if Rog could get the iPad ready for me to run the slides, it'd be great. Or Mike, who's head of our media team, can get it ready. Let's read Revelation 3, 7 to 13, shall we? Um, that's just to give you context. Today we're going to go through this letter, um, and I, I don't know how you take notes, but we're going to go through actually lots, uh, we're going to exegete that passage. So there's going to be lots of notes to write. If you scribble on your Bible, fantastic. If you, I don't, I don't know, you, you do digital notes on your, your verse, then um, do that. But as we read through it, you'll discover that each verse and each word is actually very significant. So, to the church in Philadelphia, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. I, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews, but they're not. They lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I am coming soon, so hold fast to what you have so that no one will seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you. All right, so imagine you're at home, work's finished, and you get a phone call from a friend. A friend you've kind of lost touch with. She hasn't spoken to you for ages. She's moved to a new city. And so she calls up and you go, hi, how's it going? And she, she says, hey, do you have like some time for a chat? I'm kind of struggling at the moment. And so you go, sure, what's up? So she tells you that it's tough. It's tough going where she is. She's trying to follow Christ and live out her faith, but where she lives, all kinds of things are happening. Well, there are these earthquakes to begin. 
right? You know, she says, we, we try, you know, I run a business. We try to build our businesses, but everything gets destroyed. We build these buildings up and we try to make them strong. But these earthquakes, they destroy our materials. They wipe down our buildings and our businesses and our pillars give way. I've had three in my lifetime. Just building, 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 just to have it torn down. And then, and then on top of that, you know, the culture where I am right now is really making it hard to be a Christian. I mean, they are trying to force us to conform to the religion of the day. And then more than just the religion of the day, I mean, some guys understand that I'm Christian, but there's the philosophy of the day as well there's the culture of everybody I meet and they're so enthusiastic about it everybody believes these things just to be true and I'm tired of having the contrary view in fact it's extra hard it's extra hard because you see the economy is going well in fact it seems like everyone is doing good around me like Everything is doing really well. Even the churches are doing great. The place is going great. It's vibrant. But you know what? I'm struggling. Our family's struggling. And, and my church is struggling. We're small. We're really tiny. And we, I don't know why we're so small. There seem to be other churches out there. And they're like doing really well. In fact, there's this other church that keeps telling us that our church is not doing a good job. They're bigger, they're more successful, and they say we should be doing things their way. We'll get more people, we'll be more popular, it'll be fantastic. But I feel like I'm losing. I feel like I'm fighting a losing battle on all fronts with the city and the earthquakes with the culture that I'm in, with the church that I'm in, with what I'm trying to do, I'm slowly, slowly losing hope. Imagine you got that call. What would you say? What letter would you write to that person? What response would you have on the phone? And so the letter to Philadelphia is a little bit like that. Today, um, there's only one line uh, that I'm going to center today's message on. It is, keep doing the things you're called to do. Keep doing the things you're called to do. All right, let's go and find out a little bit about this church in the city of Philadelphia. All right. Um, so one thing we know is they were near an epicenter of earthquakes. Okay, They had one in AD 17 even, and then a few more. All right, so um, why the context for this letter is important is because John, who's writing this letter, who gets this vision, and Jesus, who's, who's sort, of, um, sort of dictating this letter uh, to John, uh, they are well aware of the churches. These are not just names to them. They know the context. They know the church. They know the area, right? So while it's like just a name for us, it's not to them. And so it's always important to remember that these letters that are written, they're written to real churches in a real context. So I'm trying to give you a little bit of background. This is what 
the first readers would already have as their context, all right? So you're dealing with a city that has had to rebuild several times. In fact, their, their citizens have had to be evacuated uh, as well because of these earthquakes. So things are not that stable. There's a lot of shaking uh, that goes around. And that colors the language that gets used in these letters. Okay, then Philadelphia, if you go um, and study it, uh, it was actually created, I'm not going to go into the detail, details, I'm not a detailed person. When Pastor Jonathan comes back, uh, we'll get him to do the details. I'll give you the big picture, all right? The, the city of Philadelphia was actually created for the spread of Greek culture to its neighboring areas, all right? It was called Hellenization. It was developed as a center for Hellenization. That means making people more Greek. And so they were enthusiastic about their culture. They wanted to spread it across all the places that were uh, being conquered by the Greek empire at that time. And so they were, if you know anything about the Greeks, they were conscious about winning. That's why there were so many like Nicks, Nicolotians, whatever, conquerors, crowns, and Nick means victorious or conqueror, right? Um, they, uh, they had these sporting uh, Olympic sort of games. They were very proud of their image. That's why they're all these like statues of guys wearing nothing, you know, because to them, winning was looking amazing, being amazing, being the peak of your physical ability. Um, and so they, uh, they were like capitalism on steroids at that time, before they even knew what the word capitalism was right? So the, the strong got stronger. All right. Then it was an economically, commercially successful area, right? It was fertile uh, place. They, 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 did, um, uh, they did wines um, and grapes and things like that, but they also had um, religious festivals and, and many games in there. So a bustling place. But this church that was being written to, the church in Philadelphia, was small. It was not a winner. It's not a winner church by most accounts. All right? And that's the context that the letter's written to in Philadelphia. Today's sermon has got two parts to this message. The first part is going to be an exegesis of the text. So I'm going to talk about this text and what it says. And then... The second part, I'm going to sort of ad-lib a bit and talk about how it prophetically applies to FGA and how you can apply it to your life. All right? Part of that is because actually when we were preparing the letter to Philadelphia and I was preparing the book of Revelation, um, God was saying that there was a very specific message for our church. So what I want to do is I want to make sure that we cover what the Bible actually says. You'll see that it's pretty exciting. Um, but then I want to take some time um, as a senior pastor of this place to actually speak, if I could, to our church and to some of the things that we must keep doing because we are called to keep doing those things. Then I'm hoping that as we do this, you will also think through in my own life, what are things that I've got to keep up? I've got to keep doing. Um, you know, we have gone through 
Um, so if I could take you, if you've just showed up, um, I want to uh, take you through the last, this is the sixth letter, right? So we're in this series called the seven love letters. You see the love letters up there. We've got a wedding theme. The whole idea is that there's a wedding motif in the book of Revelation and Jesus is writing to his bride, right? And then they're called love letters because they're written out of love. They're talking about love and they are to help us love God better. It's to help us improve the greatest love relationship of our lives. And Revelation 3.19, uh, which is the anchor verse for the home group series, if you're in the home group, it goes, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. I, like an Asian mom. I love you so much, that's why I'm correcting you. All right? And so that's the intent of the book of Revelation. But we have had, if you've been here at FJ, oh my goodness, we have had so many weeks of scolding, right? We've had like, don't lose your first love, don't compromise with the world, don't go and fall into sexual immorality, right? We had to talk about the bronze. Um, then last week, Jerusha did an amazing message on um, outwardly alive, but inside you're dead, just like a little baby cactus, fell over, you know, don't compartmentalize your life like a bento box, but be fried rice, right? These type of scolding, right? Asian scolding. Um, so if, if that doesn't make any sense to you, go back and listen to our messages. It's on our, our website. But after all these weeks of scolding, Philadelphia is a letter of encouragement. Okay, Philadelphia is a letter of encouragement. It's not all bad because sometimes to improve love you need to encourage the right things even when it's discouraging even when it's hard even when you don't feel like it sometimes if you're going to love better you have to find that little small thing that's inside that that part that is almost dying or you're, 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 you're trying to keep it alive, but you're slowly giving up hope because you're not sure if it's even worth it. And sometimes if we're going to do love better, we've got to keep that going. So that's what this letter is. Uh, as we go through this sermon, I'm hoping that you will ask this question, where is discouragement fatigue, boredom, where is that creeping in into my life for the things that God has called you for? What things in your life, as we go through this sermon, I'm hoping you'll keep in the back of your head, hey, these are things I know God has called me for. These are things I know are really good for my life, but I'm doing it, I'm starting to get discouraged. I'm starting to get a bit fatigued. I'm actually getting a, a bit bored. And it's creeping in and you're starting to lose enthusiasm. Keep doing the things you are called to do. It's the theme for this letter and the theme for today. All right, so let's go into it. I hope you have your Bibles open. We're going to go through this letter. It's in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, verse 7 it begins by describing Jesus and by now you know that each of these descriptions they link into the initial description of Jesus right up in chapter 1 right so each of the letters they pulled something on that and basically 
for the letter to uh, the church in Philadelphia, it goes, Jesus is holy, that means set apart, true, and then says, the key, who has the key of David, and then multiple times says, opened, and no one was shot, who shots, no one's opened, and then even in verse um, 8, it goes, I know your works, behold, I set before you an open door, which no one's able to shut. So there's something to do with the key of David, and opening and shutting of doors. That's linked to Isaiah 22, verse 22, and a reference to a guy called Eliakim, who was the holder of the key of David, the guy who sat in front of the throne who held the key to that door. The doorman, if you will, to the throne. Basically, everyone who came to see the king had to be vetted. You couldn't just rock up. You can't just send King David a WhatsApp and go, see you in five minutes, and then you rock it, right? You have to get past this guy who's got the key. And so you have to be either be so persuasive, or you have to have some kind of official paper, or you have to some kind of thing, but you have to make sure that guy lets you in. And Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. I'm the one that's going to, have that key of David for you to enter the throne room of heaven. The throne room of God. I'm going to be that determiner. The opening and shutting of this door is not going to be determined by people. It's not going to be determined by popularity. It's not going to be determined by how good your naked body looks. It's not going to be determined by how many countries you conquer. It's not going to be determined by how much money you have in your bank. It's not going to be determined by all of these things. It's only going to be determined by me. That's how he introduces this. So, this church is small. And Jesus is trying to say, look, I know you're small and you have very little influence and you might not look like you're winning, but I'm the one who determines door open, door shut. And I have in verse eight says an open door for you that no one can shut. All right. So right from the very beginning, Jesus is trying to say, shift your lens for the things that are important to the things that are important. Because it might seem as if you're losing, but in my eyes, you're winning. In my eyes, you're winning. Jesus reminds them, them, only I am the way. I'm the only one who holds the key. And so then he goes, I know your work. I know your work. I've seen the things you do. In fact, there are no qualifications in this. There's no but, right? I, I know your work. In, in other letters, he goes, I know your work, but... It's only for show. Oh, but in this letter to the church in Philadelphia, it's, hey, I actually see what you do. Full stop. Great. And then he clarifies. You have little power. I know you've got little power. You've got very, very little influence. You are a small church relative to the other churches and other synagogues that are out there. I get it. But you have kept my word. What is that kept my word? 
about patient endurance. What does kept my word mean? It means that you're doing what he says. Okay, it doesn't mean they've stored the Bible in their cupboard somewhere and they've kept it. Okay, it means for them to keep his words, it means they're doing, they're, they're doing what he says. All right? Little power, but they're doing what he says. Then he talks a little bit about other synagogues. He calls them synagogues of Satan. All right? Who think they are Jews. And then, uh, okay. Anyway, I won't go a lot into that. Other than to say that this is a reference to their other places of worship. There are other places of worship that are not doing the same thing. Okay? Other synagogues. And he calls them to patient endurance. And you've kept my word about patient endurance. It means you're patiently, patiently enduring. It doesn't sound that fun. Uh, why I, I particularly like this is actually um, just before I became senior pastor, like, it must be like almost five years now. God spoke to me about patient endurance. Um, and he spoke to me to say, Chris, you know, when you see your pastor, you need to just be faithful. You need to make sure that you go this long haul and you just keep doing the things that you're called for. We don't need to be too flash, but you've got to patiently endure all of the food drama things that happen. Patiently endure when the aircon is too cold and oh, there's all these whatever. Patiently endure. Though that was the word that God gave to me. And so when I see this in Revelation, it, it reminds me personally actually of, of God's promises. Then it talks about us holding fast. Hold fast okay hold fast to what you have that word krateo means hold it as if it belongs to you that it can't be taken away that means hold fast hold it tightly as if it's yours that calling that thing that you're you've been called to do hold it so that others can't take it away in fact you get that sense because he goes Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Let no one seize your crown. These words, so you'll see all these shaking words. You'll see all these like um, uh, reference into um, the city of Philadelphia. But you'll also see sporting words. So there's a lot of competition. Who's winning? Who's losing? Who gets the crown? Right? And he's saying, look, you've got the metrics of this race wrong. If you keep doing what you're doing, even though you're small, you're going to get the crown, the victor's crown, all right? So don't let anybody seize your crown. It's um, a reference to the Greek culture. Um, they send the games and all these types of things. And then it says, I will make you, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. That's, again, a reference to the fact that their buildings keep falling down. This is talking about the kind of pillar that stands up over time. What he's trying to say is, hey, if you keep with this, if you keep my word, if you keep doing this, 
then when everything else falls down, you'll be standing up. You'll be like a solid foundation. You'll be like a pillar in my future temple, in my new city that I'm rebuilding. Because look around you, all these really successful people, all these things that are happening, actually they'll come a shaking and they won't be there. And then there'll be a new Jerusalem. There'll be a new city. And so what are going to be the pillars of that new city? Okay, what, so you, you see that's, that's where um, Jesus is getting at with this letter to the church. Keep doing the things that you are called to do. Okay, so that's the exegesis part. All right, get it? It's a letter. It's written to the church. It's in Philadelphia. This church is small. Um, it's trying to do the right thing, but it's a tough environment. Just like that phone call that uh, I was just talking about. Um, today, if you're here at service, God wants to encourage you to keep doing the things you are called to do. Everyone gets tired. We all end up losing focus. It happens to the best of us. Today, this letter, I think, is, has been written after five scolding letters. This letter has been written to say, be encouraged. Keep going. So I'm going to take you a little bit back in time to the days of the early days of FGA. Because I remember these days when we were, I mean, we're still a little bit tiny now, right? We're not one of the big sort of mega churches around. But I remember when we were even smaller. And I'm going to take you a little bit back in time to the days of Uncle Roland and Auntie Eve when they were the senior pastors of the church. So I don't know how many of you remember back in, you know, the ancient days five years ago. <laughs> um, just because a lot's changing. A lot's changed. Just, just um, two years ago, our average Sunday, um, just two years ago, our average Sunday was in the 300s. In fact, we only had three or four Sundays that were over 400. Of the, I think, 11 Sundays we've had this year, including like these early years of January, we've had eight, right? over 400. Nine of the 11 over 400, right? Last week was 460, the week over 450, whatever. So already in those two years, a lot has changed. I'm even going to go further back when we were in our 200s. Back in a time where we were so much more insecure about what God has called us as a church, so insecure that Uncle Roland and Auntie Eve would get up in these meetings and I'd be a young guy at church and they'd say stuff like, sonship is important and, and we need to really work on our, our, you know, develop sons of the house and, and relationship and in, um, intimate, deep relationship across um, generations. While they were saying these types of things, I was there when it was all shaky. Because there'd be people who went, no, 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 no. That's not what this other church does. That's not how you run church. That's not. And we would have these massive, I kid you not, massive debates. 
about what kind of church we were supposed to be, what types of things we were supposed, we were called um, to do. So I'm gonna, let's go back, let's go a bit back in time. Back in the day when Roger was worship leading. <laughs> oh man, I had to like troll through all for the rat. This is when we were doing Precious Treasure. Okay, anyway, um, so back, back in the day, some things haven't changed. Um, huh? Same pulpit? Same pulpit? Yeah. Um, you know, back in the day, uh, where, where um, you know, our auditorium could only fit about 200 and something. So we were running, at, at one point we were running like two services, right? Anyway, we were a whole bunch smaller. I think this YWAM days, like probably only, I want to say, what, like eight years, ten years or so. I, I, I randomly pulled the picture from archives so um and very quickly this morning right but i remember back in those days i just started as a kids pastor before i was a kids pastor in the church i was just a regular member fj was started when i was 19 right and i'd go into these meetings i was invited i was the youngest person on the board at that time before for Roger even, I think, yeah. Anyway, the next person was like Uncle YC. And I think he's like, what, like 15 years older than me? 20? I wouldn't say. <laughs> but you know, and I was sitting there in 10, 10 Uncle YC. <laughs> seven, okay, seven. Uncle YC was just seven years older than me. <laughs> oh my goodness. We gotta tell the truth. Okay. Anyway, I'm in these meetings and we would have these types of debates. I remember one season where our whole leadership we decided to follow, and I'm gonna keep the guy's name anonymous. Right, because I don't want to bag any particular system. But we found this book by this famous cell group pastor. And the whole church, I was really young back then, so I wasn't even leading the charge. Right? But we, we all decided, oh, we're not a church of cells. We're a cell church. I don't know, whatever it is. Right? We're a cell church, whatever it is. And we were following this methodology to be able to have successful home groups. Because supposedly, our home groups were not successful. And so we were implementing it. And then I was reading this book. And I got to the end of the book in the appendix. And I'm reading their stats. Just as I do because I'm a bit of a numbers person, right? And they're big. At the end of this book, oh, do this, do that, do this, do that, do this. You get to the very end. You read the appendix. And they're like, we are so thrilled to report that 50% of our church have attended home group once. I'm like, oh my goodness, what are we reading? What, what are we doing? Uncle Vice, I remember at that time, he pulled up stats that 90 something percent of our church had attended home group, all right? And so we're following this guy's book and we're gonna go back and lose 40%. Like, it was terrible. And it was because we thought that somehow our highly relational, deeply connected home group method needed a better system out there. 
to be able to scale, to be able to do all these types of things. I, a, another a memory I had when I was really young was I was talking to uh, one, of my, one of my friends, one of my Aussie friends, and we were, we were Christian friends, actually, and we were talking about how important family relations, multi-generational family relationships are. I tell this example, um, it, you know, not, not for the ethnic gap, because I, it, Asians can also be terrible, right? Um, but I, I tell this because, one, it's possible to use words to mean something, like, oh, let's have an amazing cell group, home group ministry. But in reality, you're talking about two different pictures. Oh, let's have an amazing church service. And what they mean is that the worship was exactly the way you liked it, in the right volume, singing in the right key, with the lighting good, and the speaker was very funny. Great church service. Or you could use those words and go, wow, this was life-changing meaning it was a great service or something like that, right? But anyway, I'm chatting with this guy. We were a lot younger, both Christians, and I was trying to explain to him what Uncle Roland and Tihiv were trying to impart into me in my early days about sonship and how it's important to honor the older generation. And we were talking about staying connected across multi-generations and, and the like. And the guy said to me, that is fantastic, what your church is doing. We are like that too. My family, we think it is so important to keep in touch and well related to my parents. You know, without fail, without fail, every year since we've been married, we've had Christmas lunch together. I'm like, what? <laughs> yes, Christmas lunch together. Rain or shine. I'm like, oh my goodness. We are talking about two different planets. <laughs> two different planets. Like my mom was, my mom heard on the WhatsApp chat that I was not well. Within that day, my dad's driven across while I'm on the phone, you know, with the building, whatever. He's like, made me like vitamin C, whatever is giving it to you while I'm on the phone. You know, like it is two different things. Two churches can say, let's have intimate relationship and be long committed over time and be multi-general. Two churches can say that. And one can mean it at a very superficial level. From the, hi, you got a welcome card that shows up at church and you're now integrated into our membership and whatever it is. And another can be like, oh, we lost your email in our guest central WhatsApp, whatever. And then it's taken us maybe a month to get in touch with you or whatever. But next thing you know, you've been in FGA for like 10 years and all your best friends are there. Like it can mean two different things. So I want to talk a little bit about what it is at FGA that we have been called to do. What is it that at FGA... Uh, when it says, when, 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 when God writes a letter to the church in uh, Philadelphia and says, hey, you've got to keep, with patient endurance, keep the word that I have given you so that no one steals your particular crown, the crown that's for that church in Philadelphia. When I, when I read that, when I translate that to, to my own personal life, when I translate that to our church, what does that mean? That means... We have to, as for me and my house, we have to serve the Lord. We have to somehow strengthen, keep doing, 
keep emphasizing this part of the unique calling, the specific calling of this church. Now, if, and it's easy, I'll tell you now, it is easy to get distracted by all the glitz. It really is. Uh, And I'm not saying that we're not gonna be a church that gets its act together. We're slowly getting there. 25 years, we now have our own place. Worship ministry finally have their like green room. They, you know, which I would argue is peripheral. But you know, we're, over time, over time, we're, we're kind of getting there, right? Um, but our church, the main focus of this church is something entirely different. We, uh, as for me and my house, that means the way it is in my own home when nobody is looking. In my life, that's the way it's going to be for the church. That means our church, if we are not welcoming at all in our own home for new visitors or, 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 or friends or whatever it is, then our church is not welcoming. Right? So the thing to work on is not how do we have a welcoming system that sends out automated text messages to you. The way to solve it is how do we be more welcoming in reality in our own homes and in our own lives? That's what, as for me and my house, who serve the Lord, means. If you haven't discovered by now how different a church FGA is, I want to encourage you, come along to orientation lunch Next week, because we'll talk a lot, a lot about it in detail. But there are things about FGA where we are emphasizing multiple generations. So hey, maybe Sunday service won't have the music you like any given Sunday. Maybe. Maybe it might not be, the jokes may not translate across the different generations. So different sections of the auditorium laugh depending on who's preaching, you know, on a given Sunday. Maybe. But these are the things that we have been called to do because Box Hill needs a church. Box Hill and Melbourne needs churches that have authentic family lives that go deep with people who come in. They are high involvement and high interference. That means we nosy around your life and your business and your eyes. Like it goes both ways. Like seriously, people ask me all kinds of weird questions, right? It's fine. It's fine. I get WhatsApp messages at like midnight or whatever it is. It's fine. I may not answer, but you know, it's fine, right? Um, the idea is that as we run as a church, Whereas for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We must hold fast to what we have. Box Hill needs a church with healthy families. Our faith must be alive. That's why we're going through this season over the last few weeks of repentance. Our worship ministry has been going through this season where actually you're seeing our, our worship team try to sort out their own worship lives first before they will get up and lead us in worship. We care about those types of things. And so maybe we're slow in integrating you into the life of the church. Maybe. I I imagine that there are churches out there 
there really fast. Step one, step two, and then you're in the church. Maybe we're a bit slower than that. Maybe our service is a little bit longer because we ramble and we talk about, oh, who so-and-so has just had a baby and so-and-so has been baptized. We offer condolences. We pray for people who are going on mission trips and things. Maybe we're that way. But you know what? There's a lot of people who know the names that we mentioned. And we kind of like it that way. We like it that way because it means we're doing real life together. That we're not just an organization from the synagogue of Satan to like, I don't know, just like pretend our way through church or whatever it is. Right? Like, and, and I'm not suggesting that any church that is not FGA is from this. I'm not, definitely not. There's a lot of really great churches out there. I'm not knocking. Like, there are a lot of really great churches out there. I'm talking about what kind of church we have been called to be. All right? And we may not be as hip and cool, but if we stick at it for a long time, the one who's going to give us accolades the one who's going to keep that door open, the one who's actually holding the key of David, he's the one that we account to. And it says in, um, it says in this letter, then he will make us a pillar in the temple of his God, and he'll never go out of it. He'll write on us the name of his God, and the name of the city of his God, this new Jerusalem. In this promise is if we can keep God's word with patient endurance, he is going to be the rewarder. And so now I want to end. So I've spoken a little bit about FGA. You're at FGA. You understand a little bit about um, our church. But actually each of you have a mini church of your own, right? As for me and my house. Even if you're single, your house is a house of one. If you're married, it's you and your wife, right? And some of you, like your house, you, you count all your great-grandchildren, whatever it is, fine. Um, what things are you going to strengthen in your own life? What is it that God has called you for and you feel like, oh, I'm a little bit small. I got no influence. I got like no power. What I'm doing is not really, according to the world, like winning. It's not, it's not amazing. What is it that you might seem like not the popular thing to do, but you know that it's the God thing to do, that God wants you to do that? That word that he wants you to keep with patient endurance. Now, I'm being deliberately vague. I've been specific about FGA because I know our church. I've grown up in our church. So I've been specific about FGA. But I can't be specific about your life. What I know about some of you is some of you have been called to be missionaries. What I know about some of you is you have been called to, to, to be gifted in, in, in worship ministry you have been some of you have been called to be fathers of the home mothers of the home some of you have been called to be the godly wife or husband of a non-believing husband or wife some of you have been placed in your workplace for a particular reason 
or your school or that group of friends. Some of you, your marriage, how you're married, how you interact with each other is supposed to be a testimony for the miraculous grace of God so that when they look at you and they go, oh my goodness, how did you stay married to this guy? It's the grace of God. And then you see that live out in your life. Some of you have got specific situations that I can't even begin to explain. Yet, you know, when you listen to the Holy Spirit who's convicting you, right? You know, hey, I'm supposed to keep doing these things with patient endurance. I'm supposed to hold fast. I'm supposed to let no one else seize our crown. I'm supposed to be this pillar. And I want to encourage today. I want to encourage you today. There are things that you are doing right. All across here. There are things you are doing right. Figure it out. Figure out quickly what those things are and then never let it go. Hold it fast. Patiently endure with it. Let no one seize that from you. That's the prophetic word for our church. That's what we as a senior leadership team we're endeavoring to do. Even though we're here in this place, we'll have kids that will grow up here in this church and they'll have never seen our smaller days. I hope that something that we will endeavor to do in our lives, in, in, in your family, that you will hold fast. You will keep doing these things. So while all eyes are closed, I want to give you one opportunity. Um, and uh, maybe we'll do altar call this way. Take a little bit of courage. Uh, while all eyes are closed, if God has called to your attention, to your awareness right now, even as we're talking through this whole sermon, there's a calling. There's something that you know you're doing right. Okay? You know you're doing right before the one who holds the key of David. But you're struggling with patient endurance. You're not sure if you can hold fast to this. If you feel like it's slipping out of your hands or that pillar is getting shaken. Today, I want to pray for you, whatever that is. So I want to invite you to stand up where you are. If there is something that we as a church can pray for you and your family for, this thing that you are doing right, but you're starting to get discouraged, you're losing a little bit of strength, you're a bit worried that you're just small and low influence, you're not sure if this is like you can continue on. If that's you, as a church, we want to pray for you. So 
while all eyes are closed, can I encourage you to stand up? And all across here, you'll see. Today, we're building pillars. Today, we're going to be praying for the Holy Spirit to strengthen, to re-energize, to re-motivate, to give resolve to people who are doing what God has called them to do. I, I think Pastor Roland is 100% correct. We don't know yet in this church there are going to be mountains come out of here. But they need to be strong. We need to strengthen what we have. I know there's a few more that need to stand up. And I'm going to pray. If that's you. Okay, let's pray. Father, I pray for each person that's standing. I want to thank you for the letter that you have written to them. Your love letter to them today. I pray, Lord God, that they would read again the book of Phil, uh, to, uh, the, the book, the letter written to the church in Philadelphia, and, and they would get encouragement from it. Lord God, I pray, Lord God, that you would give them strength and resolve despite how they feel, despite what the outside looks at, just like despite what other people say and do. I pray, Lord God, that within this room, with each of the people that are standing, you will build pillars of strength in your temple, that they would stand while all else is shaking, Lord God, and that their foundation and their strength would come from you. As a church, we intercede with them. And Lord God, we pray for our church, FGA, that you would help us, Lord God, to remain faithful to the very end. Help us to be a church that follows after you, that our inside home lives would reflect the outside of what everybody sees. That as for us and our house, as far as we can help it, that we would serve you Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, the uh, service is over. I want to allow some time for ministry. If you want to come up, you want us to pray for you, please come up. Otherwise, um, you're dismissed. There's food outside. Uh, Guest Central is on our right when you go out. And we'll see you next week. We have a very, very special guest speaker. And we have our orientation lunch. God bless.